This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 41st episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Thank you for listening, for downloading, for subscribing, as well as for those of you who are rating the podcast, especially on iTunes. As I mentioned last week, not 100% sure how that works, but I do know that it gets it in front of more people. So this podcast is a little bit different in that I am doing it very far away from Massachusetts. I am down in Virginia on vacation. So if the audio is off a little bit, that explains that. If you hear 11 children, five dogs, that also explains what's going on. But it's great having a good time with family. Tomorrow, hopefully, going to be getting into some smallmouth bass, maybe some rock bass and sunfish and catfish and things like that in a little local creek here in Virginia as we take the older boys out on a camping trip. So looking forward to that. Inevitably, if that is a success or a failure, you will hear or read about it one way or another on Casting Across, whether it be in the podcast or on the website. But today I want to talk about fly casting. So casting a fly rod. Fly casting is an integral part of fly fishing, obviously. It is the one thing that really separates fly fishing from conventional fishing. Especially when you are talking to somebody who has never fly fished before, the easiest way to explain the difference is that with conventional fishing, you're using the weight of a lure to propel your facsimile of a bait fish or some sort of food source in front of the fish you're trying to catch. Whereas in fly fishing, you're using a weighted line to generate speed and force to move a much lighter imitation of a food source in front of the fish you're wanting to catch. So obviously it makes sense that accuracy and distance matter for both conventional fishing as well as fly fishing. That being said, you don't see a lot of conventional anglers spend time practicing casting. It's out there. I've seen it. I've seen the little target practice games that they have at outdoor shows and things like that. But especially in fly casting, 
it is a very important part of learning how to fish. So today I want to talk a little bit about practice. You know, one of the things that honestly I think about with the podcast, the, the website as well, but specifically the podcast, since it's only once a week, is I want to give practical information. I have a lot of topics and concepts that are a little bit abstract, and I think those are good, and I obviously mix those in every once in a while. But the podcast especially, I want to talk about things that you can take and work with, mostly with your hands, somewhat with your head, maybe a little bit, and this might sound corny, with your heart. It is corny. After I said it out loud, we'll see if I edit it out or not. But honestly, I want there to be things in the podcast that you can take and do. So practicing fly casting is probably as important as fly fishing. I'm going to give some caveats to that. But if you really want to be successful at fly fishing, I think becoming a better fly caster is the most important thing you can work on. Above fly tying, above learning how to tie up different rigs and leader formulas and reading water and things like that, if you can become a better fly caster, you're going to more efficiently and more effectively put your fly in front of more fish, which at the end of the day is going to translate into more strikes and more catches and things like that. So whether you're fishing a 2-weight or a 12-weight, being able to cast matters. And there's one of the most uh, read articles on castingacross.com was something I wrote years ago about going to a river and watching people who could not cast. It's a very popular river, and I got a little bit of negative feedback because people were saying, well, you know, who are you to judge? And it's not that I'm judging like these people are bad anglers or these people are bad people, of course. It's that they're bad casters. And especially when you're talking about fish that are extremely choosy, very picky, having a presentation that is not going to be loud, that is going to be accurate, matters. So it doesn't matter how expensive your fly rod is. It doesn't matter how expensive your line is or your reel is or your waders are or how well tied your flies are. If your line is splashing or your fly is not getting anywhere close to the feeding lane of the fish without some significant mending or alteration prior to the presentation to the fish, it's all for naught. It doesn't matter. And we're all on a journey, as it were, to become better anglers and to get our flies in front of fish in a much more effective and efficient manner again. But being able to cast is something you can work on in your spare time at home, on the yard, or in front of warm water species like panfish, things like that, that will really translate when it comes time to be clutch in the moment when you need to be putting your fly right in front of fish. So today I want to talk about a few different concepts as far as getting ready to be a better fly caster. So the first thing I want to talk about is practicing and some of the things that you need to have in your mind as you go to practice casting, because it's not like you can just go out and start slinging a fly rod around because if you have some bad habits then you're just going to reinforce those bad habits it's like anything else a baseball swing a golf swing a tennis swing and those are just activities that involve moving your arms in tandem to achieve a result anything that you do if you don't have the right concepts the right knowledge base the right training you're going to take bad habits and they're going to get worn in deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where it's going to be very difficult to find your way out of them. So the first thing is to know how to cast. Know how to cast by reading books, by watching YouTube videos, or by, heaven forbid, paying somebody to show you how to cast. 
most fly fishing guides will offer casting instructions. Most fly shops will offer casting instruction. These can be incredibly valuable. I thought I could cast well. I had taught casting. I had guided. And then I went to a program for preparing people for a fly fishing instructor course, which is a whole thing which I'm not going to get into. And I realized I did not know how to cast. I could get my fly to where I wanted it under ideal circumstances, under controlled conditions. But when it came to really getting it done, I had a lot to learn. And so I let people pick my fly casting apart. And again, what's the problem with that? They're not judging your character. They're not talking about you as a parent or as an employee or as a person. They're talking about your fly cast. So let someone pick apart the way that you apply power on your back cast and the angle at which you bring your arm forward in your forward cast. Who cares if you're awful at it, if you're getting better? And so find someone who can give you that critique whether it be something super passive like reading a book or watching an online video or very active and a little bit in investment involved like hiring somebody to show you what you're doing wrong. So know how to cast. Secondly, um, I would say be patient. Don't give up. If you have a hula hoop 75 feet out in your yard and you miss it on day one after 50 casts, go out on day two and you might hit it at 50 casts. But if not, go out on day three and see what can happen. The worst thing that you can do is give up when you're trying to do something. Again, if this matters to you, then go for it. If it doesn't matter to you, if you're content with sloppy casting because you catch enough fish, then that's fine. Honestly, what's the harm in that? You can continue to enjoy going out and being in the water and catching a fish now and then, and that's totally cool. I am not being judgmental again at all. But if you really want to dial in your casting, either for accuracy or distance, establish a benchmark and make it happen, no matter what, no matter how many days it takes. What else would you be doing? If, if it's about watching TV or if it's about reading a book, if it's about taking care of your lawn, you know, figure out where casting lies in the list of priorities and make it work. Spend time doing it. So be patient. Be flexible. All right, this is the next one being flexible. If you hear someone who says there is one way to cast, then that's when you should start rolling your eyes and find somebody else. Years ago, I was part of a national board for a fly fishing organization that was putting together curriculum for how to teach fly fishing. And I honestly could have powered my house with the energy and the amount of times my eyes rolled at listening to these people saying that we need to establish one way to cast. Well, that's all fine and good if you're talking about maybe one person in one situation. But the reality is, is that we all have different motions with our arms. Someone who's 5'6 casts very different than someone who is 6'6". Men and women cast differently. Right-handed people and left-handed people have different things to contend with. Are there certain fundamentals that must be adhered to? Of course. But when we're talking about figuring out how to get your line 30 to 40 feet out and putting your fly within a hula hoop size, three-foot radius, 
then there's a little bit of flexibility. In fact, there's a lot of flexibility. So we need to understand, and you need to understand, as a fly caster, that there is some sort of flexibility. Think about pitchers for baseball. You have people who go totally over the top when they deliver, and then you have everything on essentially a 90 degree or more, almost 180 degree, if you talk about people who are kind of outliers, on their delivery, and they get it done. But that being said, most pitchers, when it comes to professional baseball, are delivering either right overhead or off about 15 to 45 degrees, right? So the same can be said of fly casting. But for whatever reason, either it be because of mobility limitations or preference, you're going to work outside of those standards. Then if you can get your fly where you want, then forget the parts of the casting instruction that pertain to that element of it. So if someone says you have to cast straight overhead, then you know forget that and pay attention to how to apply power when you're moving your wrist, when you're moving your elbow, when you're moving your shoulder, when you're shifting your hips. Things like that become much more important because honestly, I know people who cast really off to the side that can kill it. And for them, it doesn't matter because they're fishing wide open water and they're able to make those casts or people who have mobility impairments. And so they're not able to do the same sort of things that the majority of other folks are going to be able to do. So be flexible in what you do and how you do it. And so those are a few quick tips. And I would say, and I'll return to this, remember that fishing is not about casting. If your cast is incredibly ugly, but you're having fun and you're catching fish, then continue to cast how you are casting. Don't change a thing. But just like anything else in fly fishing or in your job or in other hobbies or just personally, if you feel the need to improve, then I think that's when you step in and that's when you make a change. For me, being a better fly caster matters because that is a priority when it comes to fishing. As I've become more and more involved in saltwater fly fishing, I realize that it's not about accuracy and distance because I feel like I've got that pretty nailed down. Again, I don't brag about a lot when it comes to fly fishing because there's a lot I have room to improve on, but I feel like I'm a pretty decent caster. But one of the things I've talked to guides about and other guys that are much more experienced in saltwater fly fishing than me about is how can I become a more efficient fly caster? What in my stroke, what in my casting movement can be improved so that I can get my fly where I want it in less false casts? Or maybe how can I pick up line? What techniques can I do to pick up line quicker so that I'm not having to make as many false casts? I can get my fly out faster and I'm making less motions over the course of a day. Because again, when you're casting an 8, 9, 10, 11 weight for 6, 8 hours, if you can reduce maybe one false cast every five minutes, that adds up over the day. And that might sound ridiculous. If you're primarily a trout angler, something like that might sound completely preposterous. But I know how my shoulder feels in my mid-30s, pretty in shape, after a long day of casting. If I can reduce the amount of false casts I make, that not only saves me wear and tear, but it saves me time. How many more presentations can I make to striped bass in Maine, if I'm not false casting 10 times in a course of five minutes, but maybe only six times in the course of five minutes. 
That makes a big difference. And you might think that's ridiculous, but if that's something that matters to you, then that's something you can work on. Now, getting away from salt water and getting back to fresh water real quick, one of the things I think that really matters, and this is a skill that I think you develop in the fresh water and it translates into salt, is figuring out what your forearm does. Figuring out what your forearm does. So the best way I've found to achieve this, and there's a couple different ways to do this, is to take a book or a magazine or whatever. And real quick, if you're under 25, a book is like a internet page that someone has printed out and put into a hardback. It's very, very novel. Go to a library. They'll show you many, many of them. Anywho, put it in between your arm and your shoulder and now cast. What happens? Now what you've done is you've eliminated the lateral movement of your shoulder, of your arm, and really to a certain degree of your wrist. So what you're focusing on is your forearm. Your forearm and to a certain degree the back and forth motion of your wrist. What this does is it really isolates the application of power on your forward cast and your back cast. This matters for a few reasons, but first and foremost, the power exerted by your forearm is really the integral part of a fly cast. As you push forward and as you pull back, no matter what else you do, whether it be with your wrist or your bicep or your shoulder or your hips down into your legs, what you do with your forearm really drives the cast. And this is true if you are throwing a two weight, 15 feet to get a brook trout or if you're throwing a 12 weight, 80 feet to get in front of a moving permit. Once you get that established, what you can do is start to work on the other variables. But by having a book pinned between your elbow and your side, you are again isolating and focusing on and thinking about those most integral muscles that push and pull your rod and your line to get your fly where it needs to be. So this is one of the first steps. Another thing that kind of ties into that is there is a, a technique of essentially locking your wrist into a fixed position so that you're unable to focus on your wrist. I think we've all seen it when we watch the insurance commercials and the other kind of commercials that insert fly fishing as the thing that the wealthy and the very relaxed do. All they're doing is they're holding their arm steady and they're flipping their wrist back and forth. But it's not just limited to commercials. I've seen this happen in real life over and over again. So fixing your wrist so that it can't move forces you to work on your forearm. And once your forearm knows how to apply power forwards and backwards, if you can cast 40 feet and put your fly where you want it with a fixed wrist and your elbow pinned to your side, that's when you then remove those limitations allow yourself to branch out and move a little bit to the right and to the left and allow your wrist to have a little bit of flexibility and now you will be so impressed at how you can put a fly where you want to put a fly and how effortless it feels how you're actually using that four hundred dollar six hundred dollar thousand dollar fly rod to propel your line and you're not having to force it and huff and puff after a few hours of casting it's pretty remarkable so again limit where your elbow can go limit where your wrist can go focus on using that forearm and then when you are free of those limitations you'll be incredibly incredibly impressed at how you can cast again that's my experience the people who i've taught casting the folks who have taught me to cast but again 
for you and for your experience, it might be totally different. That's just one way to go, and I think it's probably a pretty common way to go when approaching these things. The last thing that I'll focus on in the in the podcast is use a weighted fly, especially if you are a streamer fisher for trout, if you fish for bass, or you fish saltwater. Don't cast nothing. If you cast that 10 weight and practice your tail off, but you're using a tiny little bit of yarn, then you are going to be incredibly surprised when you get out to the water and you're having to throw a wet, wind-resistant fly. So I actually have a post I will link to in this podcast, but it's about tying a fake fly that is both heavy and wind-resistant. It's a hook shank with a piece of felt tied onto it, and what this does is it simulates a fly that is heavy and a fly that is wind resistant completely changes the game instead of tying a little bit of nothing on there just so you can pretend you're casting something actually tie something on there because that weight that wind resistance really matters especially when you get a big heavy fly like that wet so just a few things to think about but last and i mentioned this already Fishing is about fun. If this stresses you out, if this has been 20 minutes of just like, I can't spend more time and energy on fly fishing, I don't want to go out in my backyard, I don't want to go to a park, I don't want to pay somebody, then don't do it. But if you do want to really improve your time on the water, this is something to consider. There may be other things for you that are prioritized higher, but for a lot of people, I think, as myself included, that becoming a better caster is the first step to becoming a better fly fisher, to getting on more fish and enjoying time out on the water. So let me know if you have any other tips for fly casting. There's a billion of them out there. Read books, read the classics, and look at the new stuff that's out there. You never know what will resonate with you. It's not like fly casting mechanics have changed drastically over the last 100 years. So look at a book that was published back in the 50s and watch YouTube videos that were published last week by repeatable sources, much more repeatable than me, and see where you can either tweak or totally overhaul your cast to enjoy your fishing more and get into more fish. This week on Casting Across, two articles. The first one is called The Best Fly Shop. After writing a few articles where I was listing the top rated fly shops based upon online reviews for all 50 states, I got thinking about it and wanted to give my input as to what I believe makes a good fly shop. So if you want to know what that is, then go ahead and check out The Best Fly Shop, which was published this week. Also published this week was The Opposite of Fly Fishing. Caught a very big fish recently, but it was not fly fishing. It was doing something totally different. And I didn't put this in the article, but I actually killed the fish. It was eaten, not by me, but by the captain of the boat. Anyway, check that out. The opposite of fly fishing. Today's recommendation is Yeti, okay? I know that Yeti does not need me talking about their products to get anybody to listen. But hear me out. I have four small children, we are traveling from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania, Virginia to Pennsylvania, back to Massachusetts. The Yeti Hall has been clutch regarding getting the kinds of foods that we need, whether it be almond milk because somebody is lactose intolerant, or baby food because we have a baby, or snacks because we need snacks, or things to drink in the car because we don't want to spend 
ridiculous prices at gas stations to buy drinks. Having that cooler in the back of the car and not having to worry about ice and worry about this and worry about that has been awesome. So the Yeti Hall, again, is a pretty good-sized cooler, definitely sufficient for a weekend trip or for different legs of a longer trip. And the wheels are bulletproof. I've taken this on sand. I've taken this on grass. I've taken this on gravel. And it gets everybody and everything where you need to go. The handle is constructed such that when you hold it, you're not going to hit your ankles, which is great for anybody, but especially when you're carrying a baby or also a backpack and something else. And you can sit on it, which for me, I hate sitting on the ground. So being able to sit on my cooler matters. And honestly, this is one of the things that separates the high-end roto-molted coolers from the other ones, the cheap ones that claim the same sort of uh, durability and the longevity of ice is the actual durability of the lid. I could stand on my Yeti. I could change a diaper on top of my Yeti. I can do whatever I want to do on top of the Yeti, and it's not going to cave in or break. So not inexpensive, but an awesome accessory to a family vacation or a long fly fishing trip where you want to wheel something as opposed to carry it. I'll go ahead and throw up the contact information for Yeti as if you don't know how to find them already on the show notes of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.